Stone Mountain Radio, episode 67. Welcome to Roan Mountain Radio. I'm Ken Turner. This is a special edition of the Roan Mountain Radio because it is coming up for the Extreme Roan Adventures, which is July 29th, the free Friday night, and Saturday, the big adventure day at Roan Mountain State Park. Over 20 adventures and activities scheduled, so that is just for Saturday. Huge, huge adventure day, so bring the kids. Your parents are required to attend. There will be links on this email and the website, RoanMountainRadio.com, episode 67. Also at the ExtremeRoanAdventures.org site. Download the registration, get it in before July 26th, and you will get a free lunch with your registration. Also, water bottles. We have a program to discourage use of the plastic throwaway water bottles, even the recycling water bottles. Every kid that attends will get a metal Extreme Roan Adventures reusable water bottle. These are very well constructed, durable, last you a long time, many, many miles of trails, many hikes, and many adventures. So be sure to get your Extreme Roan Adventures water bottle at the event in July 30th. Okay, today we're going to talk with Eric Rayfield. Eric is going to be our adventure leader for the Mountain Bee Adventure. I had no clue there are bees that just live on the tops of mountains, and that's what Eric calls Sky Islands. A tremendous idea. I've never thought of that. That just brings up a totally new visual when you look out over the the mountains and you wonder if there are little bee colonies on the tops of those mountains that don't visit the other mountains. That's what Eric is exploring. That's his study. That's his thesis at his graduate school at the Appalachian State University. So join us on our visit. I caught up with him at Carver's Gap on top of Roan Mountain last Sunday, and we just stopped in the parking lot there and watched all the people coming and going. It was a really fun time. I hope you enjoy it. Well, I went to Lees McCray College for undergrad, and studied wildlife biology there, and and now I'm doing ecology at um, Appalachian State University yeah. and studying bumblebees. There. Were you in part of the animal rehab at Lees McCray? Yeah, I was. Were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, cool. I did, did that for three of the four years I was there. I loved it. It was definitely a lot of work, but um, something to keep you keep you occupied. Oh, I bet. Absolutely. And now at Appalachian, you're a grad student, and you're is, is that your study is bees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I took all, all different classes concerning other animals and other parts of biology and ecology, but um, for my thesis, at least, I'm focusing on bumblebees and specifically high elevation bumblebees. So I'm looking kind of at gene flow between mountaintops like Roan Mountain and Smokies, some of the peaks out in Smokies, and just seeing how basically how, how their gene flow works between those mountaintops and if there's habitat connectivity and Basically, are the populations healthy enough to where, let's say, if all the bees went extinct on Roan Mountain one year to a drought or something, right. would there would be would there be enough bees over at Hump Mountain or over Mount Rogers or somewhere nearby a mountain? Would there be enough bees to repopulate this area, and would they be able to? Would they be able to fly that long distance 
across, and we can we can determine that by the gene flow. We just we examine their DNA and see how related they are. And if all the mountaintops that are separated by big valleys, if they're all similarly related, then we know that that they're they're getting some gene flow across there somehow. Whether it's you know take some a couple of years to work their way over, or if they do it every year and disperse across those mountaintops. That's that's uh, gonna. That sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. So gene flow lateral versus vertical? Yeah, well, see, a lot of the, the, the bees we're concerned with typically only stay at high elevations, so they wouldn't really de- 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 you know, delve down into the valleys. Um, they mainly live up here. Bombus okay. vagans is one of them. It's a high elevation bumblebee. Called, the common name's half black bumblebee. But there's another bee, the, the common eastern bumblebee. It's a uh, Bombus impatiens. It lives up here. It lives down there. It lives everywhere. So we we did a small project with it past you know um, past last fall. We collected a bunch of them around Boone and, and some of the mountaintops on the Parkway and basically they were all almost identical in in their their alleles that they had. They, so that means there was a lot of good genetic mixing, a lot of dispersal and um, interbreeding among all the populations. They're doing good. We're more concerned with the ones that usually are stuck in what we like to call them sky islands. They're stuck right. in mountaintops, and they, they, their habitat preference are these these open areas up the tops of mountains. Flowers that typically you only find tops of mountains are what they like to feed on. That's just kind of where you find them, and, and so they might have more of a, an issue dispersing and maintaining genetic diversity. And and once they start losing, I mean, you, you see it with... A lot of animals, once they start losing genetic diversity, you see a lot of inbreeding. Inbreeding leads to lethal alleles and causes populations to decline even further. So yeah, it's kind of like yeah. a, a a positive feedback loop. Once they start losing, um, l- losing population numbers, that genetic diversity causes them to lose population numbers even more. In a spiraling, yeah. downward spiral. Yeah. So and that was that's my thesis, but as a kind of a side project... Uh, a couple of guys from one, one of them is Paul Super from Great Smoky Mountains National mm-hmm. Park. Another one uh, from USGS, Sam Drogi. He's a, a like the bee expert in the country, pretty much. They approached me. Um, they approached my advisor at, at Appalachian State. They wanted a, a grad student to do a summer project on the Parkway and Shenandoah and the Smokies, basically all the eastern national parks, and do, just basically do a big bumblebee inventory. Because bumblebees, right. you know, I keep saying bumblebees, but there are other native pollinators, there are other native bees like orchid bees and right. mason bees and, and all those guys. But functionally, bumblebees are the, are the most important because they're most abundant, abundant and they're usually the, the most common pollinator you find on most flowers. So that's why they were more interested in bumblebees and that's kind of why i'm most interested in bumblebees is because um, they as far as like the bulk bulk load you know the the bulk of what happens with pollination comes from bumblebees not so much honeybees which are non-native and not so as much of other bees but bumblebees are super super important so we wanted to focus on them and and they're easy for people to catch so that's this project on the parkway was okay. concerned with is uh, volunteers and citizen scientists and so, uh, so we got a lot of just people who had never caught a bee in their life we did a, posted a training video on a website and they and sent them out to mm-hmm. places and on the parkway basically every other mile for 600 miles from from Shenandoah to Smokies 
Well, that is some exciting stuff from Eric. But before we go, I wanted to be sure and ask him. I've been up on top of Roan on Round Ball and Jane Ball especially. And if you've been up there, you know in the summertime that funny little flower, the Angelica, and the bees just go nuts over it. So we're going to ask him about the Angelica. Angelica. Yeah. And bees. Yeah. I've heard a lot of stories up there on the mountain watching them crawl around and fall uh-huh. off of these. Yeah. It's a, it does have an intoxicating nectar. Yeah. Angelica does. And uh, there has, at least I haven't heard of any studies out there trying to ask why it's intoxicating, but our best guess is that it, <laughs> they stumble around and it's so common up there that they stumble on the, the co- most common thing, which is another Angelica, and it cross pollinates. So. That's, uh, but they do get intoxicated. They do get intoxicated by the nectar and <laughs> and uh, bees, flies, moths. They they all love the angelica. Yeah, it's such okay. a fragrant plant, and um, not you're not sure if they actually get addicted to it or what. But you, they you see them crawling all over, and it does does have a pretty good sugar content as well. Okay, so yeah. I like angelica. It's a, <laughs> you know it's one of the main ingredients they flavor gin with. No, I didn't yeah. know that. Angelica and juniper berries, and it has so, it, you, know, you smell it. It has that that gin smell. Now, are you talking the flower, or you have to the, get the sap? It's the break? sap. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's the sap of the um, of the stalk that they mainly use in gin, so, which is a little fun fact. But, yeah. You can park here. <laughs> For anybody that can't tell, we're at Carver's Gap, sitting on the log fence with Eric Rayfield on a Sunday at 6 o'clock and everybody else is up here with us. (laughs) So what we're going to talk, I do want to ask you about the kids rally. Yeah. So the things that I like to hit on when when it comes to kids is, you know, I don't get too complicated into into species too much. I might say, well, this is a bumblebee. I might say, this is a mason bee. And and just give them some of the morphotypes so they can kind of realize that there's not, not all just bees out there. Uh, it's all, not all the same bee. And, uh, you know, I do like to, you know, it's, it's a misconception out there right now about honeybees. Honeybees are important to honey industry, but that's about it. Um, and honeybees are non-native. Mm-hmm. And so that's the things I like to clear up with kids is tell them, did you know that, you know, most of them only ever heard of honeybees. Mm-hmm. Did you know honeybees are um you know they're non-native, and uh, we have about 5,000 species of native bees that, you know, live right here um, in in this country that um, that are all really special, and they all are really important pollinators too. And so that's kind of what I like to cover. Um, it just just get out in the air. But you know, usually um, I like to talk about for foragers, like the type different types of foragers. You have um, bumblebees, which uh, you know a lot of times they're buzz pollinated, so certain plants like tomatoes or anything in the Solanaceae family, um, they vibrate their, their legs and their, their thorax on these flowers, and these flowers will not release their pollen until they, they get that specific frequency from that bumblebee. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that. Why? And so that's why you can't, uh, you can't raise tomatoes without bumblebees. Greenhouse tomatoes, they all have uh, captive bumblebee colonies in the greenhouses with the tomatoes. <laughs> With that frequency of a buzz. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could take a tuning fork with that same frequency and hold it up and touch it to a tomato flower and the pollen will come out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They even make little uh, battery-powered um, sonicators. They call them. It's just a. It has like a little wand, and on the tip of it, it's just like this little this little probe that you touch a flower with, and it vibrates at that bumblebee frequency, and uh, and then you can cross-pollinate and breed. You know, make your own hybrid tomatoes. Oh, okay. Obviously, you can't do it on a grand scale and, and pollinate a whole greenhouse worth of tomatoes just for fruiting, but you can do it if you're trying to cross-pollinate and and form hybrids. But a more controlled yeah, pollination. Yeah. Buzz pollinate. Yeah, buzz I'm going to remember that. Yeah. Wow. Well, the kids are going to have a blast learning this. Yeah. Now, are you going to have actual bees? Or are you going to have I, some? I was planning on bringing a net and just show it walking. Um, you know, down down here at the amphitheater, there's a lot of good stuff right right in that yeah. area that we can just do a short little walk. And and uh, especially on Angelica, you uh, you've noticed there's like ten different species on one flower a lot of times. Kind of clear up some misconceptions on wasps. Everyone hates wasps. They're not technically a bee. But they're in the same family. They're hymenopterans, and they they have stingers. They have stingers just like <laughs> bees. They don't form colonies like bees. But there's a lot of bees like mason bees that that don't form colonies. They're solitary bees. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's important to tell them not all insects are bad. Even though they sting you, even though wasps are just a little more aggressive, they can still be pollinators. Even mosquitoes are pollinators. Believe it or not, so yeah. well, I believe it coming yeah. from you. Yeah, I absolutely believe so, it. Uh, and I'm not saying that that we should not swat at mosquitoes and they land on you to bite you. <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's in- interesting to think about all the other pollinators that are out there. Um, hummingbirds are a pollinator. Bats are pollinators. Some of the really good pollinators for goldenrod are beetles. There's actually a specific beetle that mainly lives on goldenrods. They do a lot of the pollinating. They crawl around. They get the pollen all over their whole body, and um, and they just look yellow from all of it. But they're they're good pollinators. Flies. Um, there's a lot of plants out there that trick flies into pollinating them by smelling like a dead animal. Yeah. Yeah. Like carrion flowers. Those are fly pollinated. Um, a lot of plants are fly pollinated. So it's not just bees. But I will make I I will. When I talk to the kids, I want to mention to them that there are other pollinators other than bees. Okay. Um, you know, there's wasps, there's flies, beetles, um, true bugs, you know, all kinds of insects. Um, you know, there's other things other than bees, yeah. but I will focus on bees because that's my specialty. I don't know as much about beetles or, or flies, but, yeah. I think you'll be with a good audience then, yeah. so they won't ask you too hard of a question. Yeah, <laughs> and I might throw in just a, a lot of times I... I I, I like plants a lot too, so I like to to say um, throw in some plant species and and a lot of times, especially um, like I said with the buzz pollinated things. But um, I like to throw in like mutualisms, which pollinators are pretty much always mutualistic with plants. But things that are more tied together, you know, there's certain certain flowers that rely on specific pollinators if they've got a long tubed flower they're going to be for forged on by a long tongued bee or maybe a long beaked hummingbird so i like to to point that out as well is these relationships between pollinators and plants that sounds great yeah yeah, I think the kids are really going to enjoy yeah. that. And I usually bring little little bottles, little um, little vials that are see through, um, and I'll usually catch a couple of bees and put them in the in the bottles and let the kids pass them around and look at them, and they can all release them and the end they see them. You know, bumblebees you can't make them sting you pretty much. I I've I've handled thousands of bees, 
and I've been stung three times. And that's because I was literally like crushing them to death by accident. You know? <laughs> and, and you can't you can't make them sting you. So that's not something too much to be worried about. But I usually always give a disclaimer like, is anyone allergic? Do you have your EpiPen with you? That type of thing. Yeah. If we're going to be near bees. But I yeah. guess everyone already knows that. If they're going to be outdoors this well, time of year. Yeah, anyways, and, yeah, and the specific bee adventure, they, they know ahead yeah. of time. Excellent. Yeah. Eric, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Well. This is awesome. All right. Mountain Bee Adventure with Eric Rayfield. Check it out. Registration and schedule extremeroneadventures.org. Be sure you get your registration in quickly and make sure you get the free lunch. It's a kid's lunch from Food City. They uh, have a really good put together wrap and, and fruit and just. Have a good time because you don't want to miss a minute of the adventures. So check that out. Registration and schedule Extreme Roan Adventures, July 30th. And if you can't make that, at least come to the free Friday night adventures on the 29th. We have some nature hikes at night, some moth party, some spider hunts, and dinosaurs of Roan Mountain. Our friend Jeremy Stout will be talking about dinosaurs of Roan Mountain. That's it for this edition of Roan Mountain Radio, episode 67. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the mountain.